The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. I love getting to see all of you and get to reconnect and look you in the eye. And I'm especially excited about, we've been in a series where we're looking at the stories, the lives, and the work and contribution of significant women. Some are in church history, some are recent. Today, we're gonna look at the book of a dear and beloved friend of mine. Um, and and we're, it's been eye-opening and awesome. And as a part of it, I, I had a moment that I wanted to like pause with you and have, anybody remember in college when you had to have a DTR? Anybody, anybody have to have those from time to time? It stands for? Define the relationship, right? You had this moment, you had to go like, what are we, hey, what are we doing here? And I was at the gym a few weeks ago and an Ecclesian ran into me and they had a friend with them and they were like, hey, this is my pastor, this is Pastor Chris. And this friend clearly didn't have a pastor and, didn't, and she, was, she was like, what does that mean? Like, he's your pastor, like, what does he want from you? Like, What's the, what's the thing happening here? And it reminded me that, that like probably, depending on maybe the church you grew up in, or maybe you, you're, maybe already, some of you, I've been your pastor for a long time, so you kind of know what that relationship is. And some of you are like, I don't know if I want a pastor or have a church. And some of you are here like, what, what is it that you hope and pray for me? And I thought like, it's probably helpful for us just to like say it. Years ago, I was traveling back from Canada and, uh, and how many of you, like, if you travel a lot, those of us that do, like, you've got a routine, right? And I have a routine for every, I know where I put my keys in my bag, put it in the same place every time. I park generally in the same area at the airport. I tend to eat the same things on the road because you don't want to mess with your stomach. And especially for me, breakfast is important. So for me, breakfast is always, when I'm on the road, it's coffee and a banana. You don't need all the details, but it keeps everybody regular and happy and it's good. Everything's moving. You're loving life, right? If you just stick with that and those routines, it works. And I was traveling back from Canada and I did what I do. I stopped at the airport club, I grabbed newspapers, I grabbed a banana, I grabbed coffee. And I get to the gate and at the last minute, I got the last minute upgrade, right? And I'm like, I'm loving my life. I'm sitting in first class. I'm flying back to preach at Ecclesia. And while we're flying, right, I hear the guy behind me. We're coming all the way from Canada, long flight. And he's traveling with his four-year-old and he's telling the flight attendant like, hey, um, I didn't feed my four-year-old breakfast and the kid needs to eat but he'll only eat fruit. He's a really picky eater. Do you have any fruit on the plane, right? And the flight attendant goes and they're looking and they come back like, sorry, sir, we got nothing. Like, and, uh, and I'm doing the math at this point, right? I'm, I'm not the most Christ-like person in the world, but I realize what my flight is gonna be like if a hungry four-year-old is sitting behind me. And the truth is I have a banana, right? But I don't wanna give up my banana. But it's better for me if this kid is screaming on the whole flight and he's not hungry. So I turn around just like, sir, I got a banana. Like, you're happy. Here it is. He's like, wow, I can't believe. I'm like, yeah, no, it's, it's banana. You got it. And uh, throughout the flight, he just kept tapping me on the shoulder. He kept going, sir, thank you so much for the banana. <laughs> I'm like, hey, it's cool. It's a banana, right? Finally, he does it again. I'm like, hey, I stole it from the airport club, all right? I didn't pay for it. Like, there's nothing about it. And then I pull out my Bible on the flight and I'm reading my Bible because I got to get ready to preach Ecclesia that very same night. And I'm, I'm reading my Bible and he taps me on the shoulder again. He goes, sir, are you like, are you like a Christian? I was like, yeah, I'm like a professional Christian. Like, <laughs> like that's what I do. And, uh, 
And I told him, I'm a pastor. I pastor this church, Ecclesia, and it's a really great church, and, and it's really remarkable people. And throughout the flight, then he kept tapping me. He's like, I can't believe a pastor gave me a banana, right? It's <laughs> like, dude, they taught us at seminary to carry him around with us. Like, it's just what we, it's just what we do. And, th- and, then, and then he said, you know, it, it's hard for me to believe because my, my dad was a pastor. And then he started telling me what he thinks pastors do, right? Which for him, it was about like telling you where you messed up, right? Making your life harder, not better. We ended up like, I mean, I should have charged him for therapy. It got like, it, and at the end of it, I ended up helping him connect with a church that was kind of like ours in Canada. And about every six, eight months, I would get an update from him on how he was doing. I called the pastor of that church and just said, hey, this guy's gonna come to church and his kid loves bananas, so like have some bananas at church when he shows up. And every now and then he'd just email me and let me know how life was going and the subject was always just banana. <laughs> but for him, like, and maybe for you, he, he thought being a pastor of spiritual authority was about pointing your finger. It's a little bit like the book we read a few weeks ago by Elaine Padilla. It was one I ordered by mistake. Um, there are no mistakes. And this book, Elaine Padilla says, actually, God's not this angry God pointing his finger at us. She says the way she sees God and the way we ought to see God is that God's constantly belly laughing. Like God's cracking up, like God's into pleasure and beauty and hope. And that when God enters into pain, it's always to push us through the pain, to bring us to the other side, to something more beautiful. And I got to tell you, Ecclesia, if you start imagining God laughing with you all the time, it's a lot different than a mad or angry God. And this is what I want you to know about my job. Like, I don't care if you mess up. Everybody messes up. My job is to help you. And I'm speaking for Mitzi, our campus pastor, Wayne, Keith, Paul Randall, you know, all of us, is, this is all we want. We want you to live a whole and a healthy and a good life. So not every sermon I ever preach is gonna be just immensely practical and some of them you think they suck and some of you are like, I, I really have insomnia but your sermons really help me at night to sleep and thank you, I appreciate that. But, but I'm gonna tell you today, if you would incorporate this simple truth from Elaine Padilla a few weeks ago, and realize God's not out to get you and he's not angry at you, that God actually made you for pleasure and beauty and hope. And that's the God that, like if you would see God that way, and then today, our sister Shauna Nequist wrote a great book. It's called, I Guess I Haven't Learned That Yet. And I'm just gonna share with you a few thoughts from the book. Probably the best thing for you to do this summer is actually read the book. But I got a few things that she talks about. And the, the title really is the thesis of the book. She just says that uh, she and her family, and many of you know, Shauna's preached at Ecclesia many times. Her husband Aaron has led music for us many times uh, over the last, you know, two decades. And Shauna is one of my really close friends. They live in New York City now. Um, their family moved there. And what she says is they got to New York City and when you're not used to living in New York City, everything you, every day you mess up, right? And her kids moved from a, a different kind of curriculum in the suburbs of Chicago, and they came to the New York City public schools, and there were all these gaps of things they didn't know. She'd get on the subway and almost every day get on the wrong subway and end up in the wrong place. And instead of doing what most of us have done, instead of feeling like you have to be an expert on life and on everything, she just wrote on the wall this phrase that became the title of the book. I, just, I guess I hadn't learned that yet. Like, I guess I hadn't figured it out. And part of what she articulates in the book that's really freeing for me and I think will be for you is that being an expert sucks. There's no, re- like, it doesn't bring out the best in us to be an expert on anything and definitely not on faith. 
You don't ever get to a place, and most of us that have been around and walked in our faith long enough, we realize like, I know a lot less than I did 10 years ago, right? And much less than I did 20 years ago. And a lot of it is really about unlearning. And who really dreamed up being an expert anyway, right? So like, who, who decides that somebody gets to be a food critic? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, it's not a bad job. But like, what makes that guy a better eater than me? Because I think I'm a better eater than him, right? Like, he gets to go to a restaurant and tell the chef that he stinks at it. You should only, should only be able to do that if you could make something better than that. Am I right? Like, am I not right or not? Like, you, like who gets to be a movie critic unless you, you can make a better movie, right? And maybe this part of us that feels like we're supposed to be right, we're supposed to get it right, is part of the self-defeating thing of where we're, we're beating ourselves up. So Shauna's got four things I'm gonna share with you today that I think will be helpful. And here, here's the first one. What if in your life you decided to eliminate all of the snark and live truly a no snark life? Like no sarcasm, no negativity. Like the people you follow on social media, you, you wanna get attention on social media, criticize everybody, right? I mean, that's what you do. And it gets a lot of attention. But Shauna says, like, we ought to cut that stuff out of our life like we cut cancer out of our body. That people that are negative and snarky and sarcastic, like, the more you soak it in, the more it's going to just, it's like garlic, right? It just, go to Mai's over here and eat the Vietnamese food. It's amazing. I get the stuffed garlic. For a week, it's going to be coming out of your pores, right? I will, you'll be around me and be like, you ate at Mai's again, didn't you? Like, I smell the garlic on you. And the negativity, it's just like that. Like, what if, Ecclesia, what if we managed to raise our kids in an oxygen-rich, like, sincere environment? And sincerity and kindness just became the norm. Shauna reminds us, Proverbs 4, 23, and this is what it says. It says, above all else. When the Bible says above all else, like, it's kind of an imperative, right? Watch over your heart. Like, be careful what you let in. Diligently guard it because from a sincere and a pure heart come the good and the noble things of life. Right? I don't know about you, but I want to surround myself with people that, that don't live in that sarcastic, snarky, negative space. But instead, choose to use their words in their life to build each other up. Secondly, this is what she says. What if we held our faith and our Christianity in a really, truly open-handed way? I think one of the most dangerous things about being a Christian is that many of us are taught, like, we have to have the answers. Like, the old contract between me and you is that I'm supposed to be the Bible answer man, and I'm going to answer all your Bible questions so that you're Bible smarter than other people. And if you've maybe been around people that are really, anybody know somebody that's really Bible smart? Do you like them? <laughs> like seriously, the kind of person that thinks the Bible is something you fight over, right? And they're just ready to tell you like, I, my theology is pretty amazing and I'm super, super right and you're super, super wrong, right? Anybody go like, you know who I like being around are know-it-alls. I freaking love know-it-alls, right? <laughs> Nobody does. And, and Christianity was not intended to create that. So this is what I'd like you to do, and this is what I'm, we're gonna invite you in into the fall. What if on the most polarizing and difficult issues of the day, and let's just throw two of them out, right? Let's, let's say abortion and gun control. 
Anybody here that's like, it's possible you're not 100% right on those two issues? Just me or, like what if it's possible? I was hoping for a lot more of you. How many of you are never gonna raise your hand? No matter what question I ask you. How many human beings do we have in the room today? About 20% apparently. Like what, what if, years ago, before Barack Obama was elected, I read his book, Audacity of Hope. And, and I loved it. I loved his story. I was captured by it. But I was really captured because in the book, he talked about abortion specifically. And he said, he articulated his pro-choice views, and he articulated this, um, this reality that he felt like abortion was a, a spiritual, moral, ethical issue that needed to be discussed among pastors and theologians and priests and people, it needed to have a bigger discussion, right? And I thought nobody was talking like that. Anybody remember in those days and still today? Everybody's on the extremes. And then he got elected and I was like, awesome, let's have that conversation. Like not the people yelling at each other that, you know, protesting the Supreme Court on both sides, but like, let's have a conversation. And he never, ever, ever brought it up again, ever. And I asked one of my best friends, Josh Dubois, is a part of his administration, right? And I asked Josh, like, what's the story? Did he believe what he wrote in that book? And he said he believes it. He just, in politics, you're not allowed to have a nuanced conversation. You gotta run to one side or the other and you gotta fight each other. And this is what I gotta tell you, Ecclesia. The great part of being a person of faith and not having to be right about everything means that we can actually have a meaningful conversation. It means when I go to Uvalde, I can come back and think, let's talk like reasonable people. Now, I don't know if politicians will ever catch on to that, but I wanna be a part of a community where people don't think they have to have everything figured out and can actually learn from each other. And Shauna's book, I'm telling you, if you read it this summer, is just gonna free you to not feel like you need to be the expert. Um, Ephesians 4.2, Paul says it this way, and it leads to the next one as well. He says, be humble, be gentle, be patient. Anybody else besides me feel like that does not come naturally to you? Humility or patience? Patience is not my thing. Like, the only time I'm patient is because God must be guiding me. And then, then he says this. He says, tolerate one another in an atmosphere that's thick with love. And I'm going to let the next two just hit on that, and then you can read the book and see. This is what Shauna recommends in the book. Pursue joy at all costs and share it. Like, if you live the right kind of life, you're just going to find ways to find that spark, something beautiful. You soak in beauty and meaning and truth. And if you're sitting around watching news channels all day, there's no wonder there's not enough antidepressants in the world to lift you out of that, right? And what Shauna recommends in the book, and she's talked about it for a long time, and gratefully, Kristen and I have decided, like, this is the life we want to live together. And she just says, we ought to watch sunsets the way that people watch movies, Right? That we ought to, she says, you ought to get a seat for the sunset like people buy expensive theater tickets. And what we've learned, Kristen lives about a block from the water. This is the sunset from last 4th of July. Um, I, anybody else have a hard week? I had COVID um, the week before. And um, literally, it was one of those, every COVID has weird symptoms. The only time I felt good with COVID was when I ate. So you know what I did all week? I ate. I literally, I ate bagels and quesadillas and I just like, I didn't stop eating. I, my taste was off from the antivirals or from the COVID and so I didn't enjoy the food at all, but I gained 10 pounds in one week. 
that I didn't enjoy, right? And I'm just telling you, after a hard week, we got to the end of a sunset, and then after the sunset was over, there were fireworks. And this is my belief, personally. If you take time and you soak in a sunset, especially with people that you love, it will be almost impossible to have a bad day the next day. Almost impossible. You could have some bad things happen, but you're gonna handle it from a place of beauty and patience and hope. And I gotta tell you, I wanna live that kind of life. What Shauna says in the book, and I think she, um, she says it beautifully, she says, there's so much I don't know about this next season. And I think post-pandemic, we could all say the same thing. About the world or about my own life or my next self, but here's what I know, there will be dancing. This is what I wanna tell you, like, if you got a Bluetooth speaker, you got a dance party that could happen tonight, right? Like in your apartments, on your street, like what would it look like to be a people that regularly dance more often? And she tells the story of wearing this extravagant pink dress in the book, right? And it was bright and she thought annoying. And what she found is everybody loved it. She said there'll be pink dresses, there would be play and delight and beauty and hope, and I'll keep showing up in my ridiculous pink dress despite my longing for invisibility because who knows who it is on the sidewalk who desperately needs an infusion of whimsy or enchantment or joy. Sometimes it's me, and sometimes it's that sweet old man across from me on the sidewalk. And as long as we all keep showing up, keep dancing, keep seeing each other, I think we'll all get to wherever we're going, and I think we'll all discover our wild, brave next selves along the way. Ecclesia. What does it look like for you this summer to find places of joy, to soak in the sunsets, to throw a dance party, to live joyfully and share it? I got so much more I could tell you, but throw a happy hour, do something amazing. And then lastly, what if this summer for us could be a summer of radical and beautiful hospitality? I, I don't know what you got planned, but what Shauna says in the book, and I think it's right, is that hospitality fights against two of the, what I think are the great evils in the world, isolation and othering. And we all have this tendency. I, I love where we live in Houston because it's harder here to other people than anywhere else. On my floor in my building, I've got a, a Chinese family, a Colombian family, a family from the Middle East, um, and a, a sweet old German lady, right? And if I get off my elevator on any given day, I could smell radically different spices coming from somebody's kitchen, right? And it's so much harder to put somebody in a box. But what she says is people tend to struggle with isolation or we put people in another group. And when we just share the table, it defeats both of those. Her definition of hospitality in the book I love, and this is what she says. She says, hospitality is holding space for another person to be seen and heard and loved. It's giving someone a place to be when they'd otherwise be alone. It's as my friend Sybil says, when someone leaves your home feeling better about themselves, not better about you. Isn't that a beautiful distinction? She goes on and says this, because people are great and we need each other and we have so much to learn from one another. And I'd sort of forgotten that because I hadn't been around very many for so long. Hospitality is the antidote to isolation, and we need it. I need it. Every neighborhood and town and city block needs it. And each one of us can be part of it. We have some rhythms that we say define who we are at Ecclesia, and hospitality is one of them. And what we've said is we want to be a people that every week we break bread with people inside of our community, 
And part of what that means when you break bread with people you're close to is that you share what's going on in your life. And then you break bread with strangers and neighbors, and you get to know another perspective. Our world is really broken right now, Ecclesia, but I have this deep-seated belief that Jesus has called us to a table where everybody's equal, and that as we sit across the table from the person that's in the other political party and that sees the world in a radically different way and that is one or two generations removed age-wise from us, that really beautiful things begin to happen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.